Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Well, welcome everybody to this inaugural edition of the Jay Flemish Sports Report on iHeartRadio and Golf News Network. On all across their networks, on all across their platforms, and all across your radio dial, you're going to have not just my show. But all the other shows that have been brought to you formerly on Sirius XM and on the internet and now here at iHeartRadio, we are so glad to be a part of your day. Who am I and what is this show? Well, I'm a 17-year vet of the Media Center covering 33 golf major championships, a bunch of other amateur tournaments, semi-pro tournaments, and various other sports as well. Those of you that are winter sports enthusiasts will like my skiing writing for the North American Snow Sports Journalist Association. And those of you that like football will love my cat because he makes football picks at a 59.4% clip. So the Jay Flemma Sports Report on a golf channel allows me to cross over and, yes, focus on golf, but also talk about all the other things that might interest you. Because at the end of the day, I am your voice, the voice of the great American sports fan, a chance for all of you to tell all of us what you actually thought as well. You can reach us at uh, info at thegolfnewsnet.com, and we're going to be bringing along some of our other writers and contributors at various times during the show, and we've got all kinds of fantastic guests, a galaxy of superstars from the golf world and, uh, and all across the sports world. I'm delighted that we are starting this program on the eve of the Masters. It is golf's rebirth, and it's a bit of a rebirth for all of us journalists as well. Uh, you know, the, the Masters started as a, uh, a bit of a party for everybody to get together after the spring training had finished. Uh, the journalists would just drive back up from Florida and stop at Augusta National for the tournament before they made their way back north. Those were the days of Grantland Rice and Herbert Warren Wind. But we all still get the same stirring feelings, you know, as, as finally those of us that live in the frigid Northeast can come out of the snows and see golf again and, and feel the life and the energy and the warmth of a more civilized age. Because at the end of the day, Augusta National strives to be the best run sporting event in the world and all of us that are fans can agree they do a pretty good bang up job of it and we're especially delighted to have as our first guests one of the most iconic figures in golf he is a shine of one of the greatest heritages in golf a long lineage and a family that has contributed so much to the game and he is a favorite son of sports of all new york city for his bringing back beth page black golf course from a scrap heap please give a warm jay flemma sports report welcome to reese jones Hey, glad to be here. Uh, I'm looking forward to the 
continuing to listen to the Jay Flemma Sports Report because I believe you're one of the few Renaissance men in golf. I'm grateful for that. I really try to, to, to do that. You know, what do you consider Renaissance? And, and what do you think that those of us that are doing shows like this can do to, to promote the game a little bit better? Well, I think you have such a broad uh, picture of what the game is all about, not just what they're talking about today, but also the past and the future. And I think that's what makes you so valuable for this network. Well, we're grateful to have someone who is as venerable and wise when it comes to the subject of golf course architecture to join us for the show. Tell us a little bit about what was it like growing up in a family where your dad was building golf courses all around the world and, and was on a meteoric career arc uh, rise into the stratosphere. It had to be both wonderful and a bit of a pressure too. Well, it was. And, uh, you know, even back then people criticized golf course architecture. So as a, as a little boy, I was a little concerned when my father was criticized for maybe how difficult Oakland Hills was when he redid it. But I think the most memorable thing is that my father was working at Augusta National in the 1940s, right after World War II. And we got to know Bobby Jones and my mother and Mary became friends and the Jones families became very, very close. And I got to meet uh, the great Bobby Jones and spend time with him at the Butler cabin. And uh, from then I just expanded my own career and here I am back at the Augusta again, 50 some odd years later. How old were you when you first went into the Butler cabin with Bobby Jones? Oh, I was in my early twenties. I don't think uh, my father was able to get a badge for me until I was an adult. So, uh, and, and we would have dinner at the club uh, in the evenings and, uh, it was quite an experience uh, being the son of Robert Trent Jones. When did you decide that, you know what, I do want to do this. I will follow in dad's footsteps. Well, um, my mother wanted me to have a liberal arts education. So I went to Yale and I really didn't know what I wanted to do until my junior year. And then I started taking the architectural courses so I could get into the Harvard School of Design. And I think it was really my junior year at Yale that I really decided I wanted to go into golf course design. But at that time, there was very little money in it. And so it was a labor of love more than a labor for money. So when you met Mr. Jones, tell us a little bit about, you know, what goes through the mind of a 22-year-old kid who all of a sudden is being taken around the butler cabin, the inner sanctum, the, the Sistine Chapel of golf, uh, by the man who built the place. Well, I sort of uh, knew him just by what my father had told me over the years because he was doing, he did Peace Tree Golf Club but with Bobby Jones in Atlanta. And that's where the two Bobby Joneses became friends and became associates. And that's when my father changed his name to Trent. Um, but, and, but Mary and, and uh, my mother, I own, got to, to be great, quite good friends too. So it wasn't all that awesome. It was just a very enjoyable time. Of course, I didn't say a word. Uh, whenever I was around them, I just listened. And was there much architectural teaching when you spent time with him? Or was it more to talk about the tour and the tournament? Well, it was more the tournament at the time because it was at Augusta. And it was also <clears throat> uh, talk about uh, the work that my father and he were planning to do together, uh, like changing the 16th hole, adding the pond on 11, uh, and doing a lot of small stuff, the first green, the 13th green, my father and Bobby Jones 
made a lot of improvements in the uh, 40s after World War II. Tell us some more of those improvements and tell them how they affected play. Well, uh, don't forget, the Augusta National was built during the Depression. They had very little money. So if you look at some of the old photos, I just sent you one uh, about a half an hour ago, uh, how ragged the, the golf course was. Um, and so really they had to improve it for turf conditions. They had to improve the streams. They had to rethink the 16th hole and really rotate it around and build a new hole. Uh, then uh, they, they actually started Augusta with the uh, front nine being the back nine, the back nine being the front nine. And they finally flipped that because one year it was so cold that um, they couldn't start right away because the uh, back nine was, was frozen. So um, then they flipped the nines and then they added the pond on 11 and they added uh, the, the uh, pond on 16 and rotated the hole and then embellished the pond on 15. And uh, 12 is always there, but I think they embellished that too. And um, there's no ponds on the front nine now and there's water on the back nine and that's what make, creates the drama uh, for the finishing of each round each day. So tell us a little bit more about your career arc, uh, you know, from the time that you started to go out on your own and, and give us a little bit of an insight into some of the other designers that you draw from. Well, I was um, very fortunate to have the last name Jones and sort of have a different first name uh, because I was able to create my own identity. Um, and then when I got the job at Brookline to uh, take out all the changes that have been made that weren't in keeping with the original design. And that's where we restoration was started then. And restoration is not a total redo of a golf course. It's really to bring back the features that have been lost. And that's what we did at Brookline. And then I've done seven U.S. Open venues and nine PGA venues and six Ryder Cup venues. So uh, I guess as Golf Digest said, uh, considering now they have rotations for these tournaments, it seems to me I'll be the the one that has the most uh, courses on those major championships or any architect ever. So um, I think my dad led me to that because he was uh, doing that work before I did. And uh, it was a great pleasure just to get the first one, to, but to get so many and um, have the opportunity to challenge the best in the game has been really a privilege for me. And as a bonus, you've gotten uh, the chance to bring the public into those realms as well with the work that you did at Beth Page Black and at Torrey Pines and at Cog Hill. Well, I think that's probably uh, probably going to be my greatest legacy. Uh, with David Fay and I uh, brought Beth Page Black into the uh, U.S. Open venue for our national championship, and then that brought Torrey Pines into and they've both had repeat opens, which really is an, an accomplishment and also a credential for both the courses. And now the Ryder Cup is going to go to Beth Page Black and Torrey Pines has the Farmer Insurance Open. Uh, but we also did City Park in New Orleans where Hurricane Katrina went over uh, it and destroyed it. And that'll probably have an event someday too. And I'm doing one in Johnsonville, South Carolina, a municipal golf course on a spectacular piece of land uh, right outside of Myrtle Beach. So I think really allowing the public to play in such great venues is probably uh, one of my greatest pleasures. Uh, what about internationally? Uh, have you got any projects going on abroad right now? Well, I've done a lot of work in Japan the last 10 years. In fact, Matsuyama and I uh, did the Gotemba course over where they played the Teheo Masters. Um, and he's a wonderful human being. He's very shy, 
Uh, it's hard to pull him out. Uh, in fact, when we reopened the golf course, he refused to go up on the podium and talk to the crowd. And so the client said, Reese, you go up to the podium and if you invite him up, he'll come up and he'll have to talk. And that's what we did. Uh, but I think he's such a great champion here for the Masters and such a great human being. He's a very private person, but he's just a wonderful person. He also has excellent taste in cuisine. I hear that the Mayuzadi beef and the uh, black miso cod were a big hit the other night. Well, I think all the past champions were very pleased with his choice. Uh, I think he knew what he was doing. I hear rumors that when Sandy Lyle won, a lot of guys ate bar steaks that night. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, Sandy had a, a few comments that uh, were very interesting at that time. Well, he served haggis and back in 1988. I think it was 89 he would have served it. I... I think haggis might not have reached the culinary advances that it's reached in the past. Now that Gordon Ramsay's on the scene, <laughs> if anybody could say haggis, he could. That's right. Well, I think a lot of the players hadn't even ever tasted it before. Well, anyway, we're going to take a short break, everybody. This is Jay Flemma Sports Report, and I am Jay Flemma. This is iHeartRadio and the Golf News Network. All right, welcome back, everybody, to Jay Flemma Sports Report. I am Jay Flemma, and you're listening to iHeartRadio and Golf News Network. We're back with Reese Jones, one of uh, the world's most iconic and, uh, and celebrated golf course architects. So, Reese, tell us a little bit more about your original projects. Well, I, I didn't, just finished one in Mexico, uh, north of Cabo, called Danzante Bay. It's one of the greatest sites in golf and has one of the best par threes you'll ever see in your life, the 17th hole, which is on a little peninsula cliff uh, out into the Sea of Cortez. And then uh, Playa Grande in the Dominican, I've got 10 holes on the cliffs on the ocean. It's a site just like Pebble Beach, but actually has more cliffside holes. And then uh, I, I really want to talk about uh, Ibaraki outside of uh, Osaka, where they're going to have the Jap Japan Open in 2024, uh, completely new golf course on an old site uh, that now is in the top uh, 10 golf courses in Japan, as is Gotemba that I redid uh, outside of uh, Tokyo, which is now in the top five. Uh, so I've done a lot of golf courses uh, really for championship, but also uh, I I'm very proud of the golf courses I've developed uh, for the public. Uh, tell us a little bit more about Danzante Bay and uh, Playa Grande. Oh, Danzante Bay is uh, right abuts the Sea of Cortez. It's got mountains. It's got cliffs. It's got arroyos. It's got dunes. It's got desert. It's probably the more, most diversified site you'll ever see in your life. And so the holes flow through the land naturally and, and in a rugged part and in a, in a lower part near the ocean. But uh, every hole has its own distinctive challenge and distinctive flavor. Um, Playa Grande is probably one of the most dramatic golf courses in the world. It just hasn't gotten enough publicity because it's on the north coast of the Dominican Republic. It's a course that my father designed in the 90s. And I rerouted the entire back nine and rebuilt the entire golf course uh, twice, as a matter of fact. Uh, so now uh, when people go there, they're just absolutely blown away because they really haven't heard that much about it. But it is going to be heard about and probably uh, make all the lists soon. 
uh, because you don't get a piece of property like that. Uh, now, Cabo San Lucas is a large region that's got a huge number of golf courses in, in a tight area, but there's also a bunch of them on various outskirts. How close is Danzante Bay to, say, the hotel strip? Oh, and this is really in Loretto. It's, in, it's, not, uh, it's not anywhere near Cabo, but it's north. It's a six-hour drive. It's, it's really, uh, it's, there's only two golf courses in that community. There's a nice airport, great hotel. Uh, it's run from, by a guy named Owen Perry, who's one of my buddies. Uh, and uh, it's not that expensive, so it's a wonderful place to visit. And how about Playa Grande? How close is that to other resort areas in the Dominican? It's really in the north coast. The others are in the south uh, coast or uh, pretty far away from one another. But um, because of that, it's got the more spectacular land. It's got a little more uh, rain, a little bit, so it's a little more lush. Uh, and um, this is a piece of property that uh, you would die for as a golf course architect. And it's a piece of property that I must have gone probably 35 times to this job over the years just because I loved it so much. And uh, it's run by Discovery Land. So they're doing it right as they do with all their projects. So uh, it's a play and it has an Amman hotel, which is as high class a hotel as you can have. So it is really a place to visit and no one is ever disappointed with a hotel, with Discovery's property or the golf course itself. Now tell us also about the golf course that you designed with Seve Ballesteros. Well, I did that. I actually, uh, Seve's father-in-law at the time, Mr. Botin, hired me to build the golf course for the Santander Bank. And uh, Seve heard about it. So Seve then consulted with me. And um, he was just a great, I was a big fan of Seve because he was so exciting. And um, he basically um, made a few adjustments, a few changes. Um, but I think what he liked was water. We put water on the 18th hole because he loved the water on 15 at Augusta, uh, and that was uh, something that he really addressed. And water on par fives, he thought was essential. So he was very helpful in that regard. Now, one more question before we go to break. Uh, for all of our listeners out there, uh, let's say they decide they want to hop in their car or hop on a plane and do a tour of Reese Jones' original designs that they have access to. Okay. Uh, where <laughs> would you send them? Where, where would you send someone who wanted to see what Reese's design strategies were all about? Well, I'd say Red Stick in Vero Beach, uh, Briars Creek right outside of Kiowa, Nantucket Golf Club in Nantucket, Atlantic, uh, probably Three Creek Ranch in Jackson, Wyoming, uh, Victory Ranch outside Park City, Utah. And I just um, did El Caballero over completely right outside LA. <clears throat> that would be uh, one that they would want to see. Um, I mean, there's a lot. I've been very fortunate to have gotten great pieces of property, Cascada and Rio Seco in Las Vegas. So I, I was in that era where they gave golf course architects some wonderful pieces of property because the game was doing so well. And now those properties are doing extremely well financially. 
I would be remiss if I didn't ask about the last course that I played that you did some wonderful work on. Uh, I, I had a terrific time up in New in uh, Vermont playing at uh, the Equinox. Tell us a little bit about that course, its original design, and then the work that you did on it. Well, the original design by done by Travis, and he did a Quantic next door, and uh, he, he spent a lot of time there, and he was a detail-oriented golf course architect and put a lot of little strategy, little nuances. And it was a pleasure working on the Equinox uh, when I did that back for the Guinness people. It was Guinness um, uh, people from Great Britain. And um, it's a short course, but it's really, there are a lot of finesse holes and um, it's a fun place to play and a place where people continue to play and uh, it never ceases to be a major enjoyment for everyone. All right, you're listening to Jay Plummer Sports Report on the Golf News Net Radio Network on iHeartRadio. We'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Jay Plummer Sports Report on iHeartRadio on the Golf News Net Radio Network. I'm Jay Plummer. We were here for the first two segments with Reese Jones, who still joins us for the rest of the show. But first, I would like to bring in the owner publisher and editor of Golf News Net on all of its platforms. Please give a warm Jay Flemma Sports Report. Welcome to Ryan Balangi. Jay, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Well, after all, it is your program. <laughs> it is your company. I'm grateful to have a platform and be on here and just get a chance to try to be the voice of the great American sports fan. And there's no better week to do that than the Masters. But before we get to that, please give everybody the who, what, when, where, why of both Golf News Net and how they can read us online, listen to our shows, and then join us at iHeartRadio. Sure. I mean, Golf News Net's been around for uh, for quite a while, but in its current incarnation, been around for about five years. And uh, it's always been my my pleasure to be able to try to take what I've learned working professionally with NBC Sports and Golf Channel and Yahoo and uh, some of the other great names in, in American sports media and trying to create a, a golf centric media platform that uh, that gives people what they want, the information that they need, uh, not a whole lot of uh, fluff not a whole lot of superfluous things about the game and give people as was kind of what we say, what you need to know about golf. And unfortunately we have this opportunity with golf news net radio uh, to do the same thing while bringing a whole bevy of voices and topics and exploration of the game of golf and, and all of its different forms uh, to this platform and, and, and an audio platform with our partners at iHeart, which is uh, an incredible opportunity. And it, it's a really cool uh, culmination of a lot of, a lot of hard work, but also, a lot of storytelling that hopefully long may it continue. So uh, we can find us at, at golfnewsnet.com. Uh, you can find us on your social media services and the handle golf news net. And then you'll be able to listen to golf news net radio, not only on our website, but also uh, on iHeart's apps for uh, Android, Apple, your Android auto, your Apple CarPlay, your smart speakers, their mobile app uh, for our international friends. You'll be able to listen in on tune in uh, their radio platform. Uh, the, there won't be a place where you basically can't hear audio and not listen to Golf News Net Radio. So uh, it'll be really, uh, hopefully, in my uh, dreams, uh, a place to, to catch up on the game and in all different forms, 24-7, 365. 
And tell us a little bit more about some of the other Golf News Net radio shows besides this one. Well, one of the missions of this project for me was to be able to have as many different types of voices in different topic areas as humanly possible. And we'll continue to expand upon that as as the, the rollout happens and, and we kind of get more familiar with running this, this platform. But uh, in addition to you, we'll have a bunch of live shows every day. I'll be doing a show each uh, mid-morning and then we'll have uh, a variety of different hosts, Frank Bassett with Golf Talk America, Chuck Garbedian out of Milwaukee, Garbedian on golf, uh, Diane Knox-Ballas from Scotland, uh, who's the sister of PGA Tour player Russell Knox and uh, really insightful uh, analyst, not only on the betting side, but also works for PGA Tour Live. Uh, we'll also work with Doug Bell, who, who calls golf for PGA Tour on the radio side. Uh, and then just a litany of a variety of folks, uh, probably too many to mention, a uh, good 20 to 25 more contributors talking about golf equipment, golf architecture, golf travel, amateur golf, golf betting, fantasy golf, professional game, men's and women's. Uh, we're going to try to cover as many bases as humanly possible. We're very fortunate that we have a sport that has so many tentacles in the world, and uh, we want to try to have uh, that as well represented as possible. Well, happily, I can delve deeply into some of those topics and broadly into the rest. I'm going to be bringing along uh, all of my various contacts, both in the media world, especially in golf and in other sports as well. Uh, and uh, also bringing in the people who actually do the work, some of the architects, some of the supers, some of the players. Uh, and, and from time to time, we'll be spanning the globe into other sports as well. You know, it has been a, a, quite a week this week alone with spring training starting, uh, lots of movement uh, in, the, in the hot stove league, and they have crowned a new champion of NCAA basketball, Rock Chalk. Jay Flemma. Oh, is that how it goes? Or something like that. <laughs> well, anyway, let's get right into the meat and potatoes. Uh, it's Masters Week. And one of the big questions that is on everybody's lips, Reese, Ryan, is the 11th hole. There are rumors it's going to play a lot harder, in particular to get that tee shot into a safe position about 145 yards out for the approach shot. Uh, that's most players. I'm sure that uh, Bryson DeChambeau will probably have to club down to not drive over that green. But uh, what are your reflections on the changes to 11 and the changes to the rest of the golf course? Well, um, I think uh, number 11 is only 15 yards longer, which really doesn't amount to much, but maybe one club. Uh, it's They moved the tee to the left. And so the the fairway tilts from right to left. So actually the fairway is going to hold the shot better. And a, a shot hit left side is not necessarily going to go in the woods. They took out a lot of trees. I was there the day they staked out all the trees. I was playing the golf course that day. And that was about 15 years ago. So they're really taking it back to the future to some degree and opening up the hole more. So I think it's going to play a little bit easier because they're not going to have to worry about that grove of trees on the right side, which were, really a, a, a major penalty if you just missed hit the fairway or but if you hit a really far right where the where the spectators walk where uh tiger was when he won the event uh, the last time you won it uh he got in that little alleyway so he found an easy pathway to the green but i think what 11 is all about is the pond and my father put that pond in the 1940s and the green runs on a little bit of a diagonal 
um, it also pitches toward the pond. So if you hit it right, uh, that pitch shot that is hard to stop before it, it rolls out too much. So I, I think it's just one of the great holes in golf, uh, but it's going to play into the fairway, into the slope a little bit more easy. And it's the length factor doesn't change much for these guys. Ryan, your thoughts, same question. I get the sense that for, for most of the players from what we've heard so far is that they think the mounding to the right of the 11th green is really what is going to be the change for the hole that makes the, the most dramatic difference. Uh, as Reese alluded to, the, the driving area is a little bit more wide open, maybe not as scary of a tee shot without as many trees, although there are some there, um, kind of almost reminiscent in some ways of 18 at uh, Pebble Beach in terms of in the playing corridor. But to have those bounce to the right kind of take out the bailout, take out an easy bailout to the right, uh, not that that chip shot's ever been easy, but it, it was pretty straightforward. Now, depending on where you wind up with your bailout, you may not have an easy shot. In fact, you might have an almost inaccessible shot, particularly if the, the whole location's in the front right portion of the green. You're going to have a hard time stopping the ball. You did anyway. You're going to have a harder time stopping the ball. Uh, and Roy McIlroy did mention that he, he believes that the pond has been elongated, has, has been made slightly bigger, so it could capture more balls. So I, I think off the tee, 11's a more welcome site than it used to be, but now – you don't have the ease of bailout to think that you can just play to the right and try to play for a par. Could I add yeah. one more? Uh, yes. When when my dad added the pond and uh, Ben Hogan played it, he was hitting a long iron into that hole. And um, he said, if I hit the green, I want you to know I mishit the shot. He wasn't even going to go for the green. And those mounds in front really kept the ball from the, the guy from hitting short of the green and rolling on. So it sort of forced you to carry it into the green or bail out to the right. Also, I think they lengthened the hole because the ball is going so much farther. And um, I mean, Tiger was hitting with a wedge years later. So uh, it's, it's, it's a great little hole, but it's, it plays a lot shorter than it did in the past. What are the other fundamental changes to Augusta this year? Well, the 15th hole was, uh, they edited it about, um, 15 yards they really can't go back too far there unless they decide to go into the 11th hole and have them uh play off one tee on 11 another tee you know alternate the, the foursomes um but i think the great thing about 15 is the the trees on the left the trees on the left may come into play a little more uh, with that little bit of length because that's what you want to avoid ryan your thoughts same question yeah it sounded like from um Chairman Fred Ridley's explanation or kind of deep dive, so to speak, into the changes. But he thought the sloping on the right side of the fairway, some of the changes to that maybe brought the trees more into play potentially when it's not playing in, into the wind, making it a tougher decision for the players who don't execute on the tee shot. Uh, and he said that the, the changes to 11 and 15 almost had to happen in tandem, that to expand 15 even by those 15 yards and to avoid having to build a retaining wall to create that tee box, they had to move the tee box for 11, as Reese was alluding to. So they, they kind of had to happen together. Uh, and just the net result was two holes with a combined 25 extra yards, but uh, the, a substantial difference in how you approach them, uh, particularly 15. The one thing about 15, it, when it was originally built, uh, it was a three-shot hole with a pond in front. And uh, the, the hardest shot on the golf course in its early years was that downhill wedge shot. And so to tell you the truth, 
it really paid for the golfers to go for it too, even if they had to bail out to the bunker on the right. So now I think most of the players go for it too. So it's a far different hole as far as playing characteristics than it was originally. So a little more length actually may even bring the layup shot in and that downhill third shot into play. And hopefully that that's the case. Yeah. With the wind blowing in from the West uh, for the first day, I, I think we're going to get a glimpse of more, how many more players will have to lay up uh, given that it's going to play probably closer to 600 yards than 550 yards. And, and that might invite a couple of guys to have to lay up. And I, I, I as recently to that, there's no way that's a fun shot that that's such an awkward shot as it is much less a touch shot controlling spin with a wedge to a green that doesn't really want to let you do that anyway. So who do these changes favor and who do you have your eye on to take home the green jacket? Um, well, I don't think the tr changes are that dramatic. I think they're, uh, they're really small changes that uh, make the holes better um, because these guys are hitting it so far now, Jay, uh, that, um, you know, they're hitting, they're still going to hit a short club into number 11. And I think they have a better opportunity to hit drivers. So maybe it helps the big hitters, the young bucks, uh, the younger players. Um, I don't know how it's going to affect Bryson because he talked to me before the open at Torrey Pines, and he said to me, Reese, I'm not going to play the golf course as you designed it. And he told me what he was going to do on four, what he was going to do on 17, what he's going to do on seven, which really had nothing to do with the way I designed the holes. Uh, so he, he will play a different game there. I think 11 will be in his favor, and I think uh, 15 will also be in his favor. Ryan, same question. Yeah, I don't suspect 11 is going to make that big of a change. I think it'll make it more interesting for the player who's unable to hit the green. Uh, but that could be any player that that's not necessarily a longer or a shorter, shorter player. I think be, again, because of the wind, the, the expected win for the first couple of days, 15 is going to be as different as we've ever seen it play. It could actually play as more of a three shot hole for a lot of players. And some of the interesting changes in resurfacing some of the greens three in particular, they're trying to, they, they talk about trying to regain hole locations. And, and that seems to have been a running theme in some of the, more quiet design changes in recent memories, trying to get whole locations back, trying to give them more places to put pins. And I'm curious to see if they're going to take advantage of some of those in how they set up the golf course this year, or they'll stick with kind of some of the more traditional. Um, I mean, we know Sundays very well, but you know, some of the places we'll, we'll see on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, will they stick with those or kind of bring into play some of the new ones that they think they've, they've recaptured with the resurfacing. I think that's a great point. I think uh, nobody realized, but green contours at Augusta National are probably the heart of the golf course. A green contour is a form of hazard. And um, I think what they've been doing so wisely at Augusta is easing up the contours just slightly on some of these greens, just because the speed of the greens is so much faster than it was even 20 years ago, 10 years ago, several years. So in order to recapture those hole locations, they've got to make minor changes on the greens. What do you think they'll be stimping at? They never tell you. Do you have a guesstimate? 13, 13 and a half. Ryan, same question. Yeah, I, I imagine it's probably in that range. But again, as Reese alluded to, with the sloping, depending on where you're putting from at certain points, it probably feels like they're 17 uh, if you're in the wrong spot. So, um, 
and with some of the other sloping probably feels like 10 or 11 going up, up the more severe slope. So I think that's the beauty of this golf course is that it's not just a, it isn't a putting contest anymore. It's a management contest. Uh, you need to put yourself in the right positions and you need to, to kind of avoid mistakes with forethought as opposed to avoiding mistakes by getting by with the, you know, on the skinnier teeth. It's, there's a lot of mental energy. I feel like you have to expend to play Augusta national uh, in a way that maybe you don't have to feel in pretty much any other golf tournament. Golf as uh, chess, as opposed to golf as football. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I tell you, you the, there's one of Tiger's victories where he never had a downhill putt. And uh, that's the real critical part. You really want to avoid the downhill putts at Augusta national because there is still a lot of pitch in the greens and they are speedy, speedy, fast and in great condition. Now, because of all the rain they had earlier this week, uh, those greens are going to be much more receptive and they might be a slight bit slower. That leads right into, I'm going to hazard a guess at about 14 under for a winning score this year. I think that the conditions and the, uh, and the changes in the setup are such that we should see low scores. What's the scuttlebutt from the locker room? Oh, I don't know what the scuttlebutt is from the locker room because I'm not allowed in there. <laughs> I, I meant metaphorically. I meant metaphorically. <laughs> um, uh, it, it's always hard to pick uh, a number, but because the greens are going to be more receptive, I think that's probably a good number. I don't think it's going to get up to 18. It will be double digits, though. Ryan? I think I like 12 to 15 under, somewhere in that range. I think it really depends on with the forecasted gusty winds on Friday and Saturday, when that happens and does, how much does that affect scoring and the duration? Because if it's just for a percentage of the afternoon wave or for, for all of the afternoon wave, maybe that's not as big of an impact on scoring, but on Saturday, if it happens later in the day, that could affect the leaders more than anybody else could, could create a more bunched leaderboard, frankly. Uh, and then Sunday seems to be a pretty calm day. So I, I, I'm suspecting, again, double digits, probably going to have a similar feel to uh, Ideki Matsuyama's win last year in terms of scoring. Uh, one last question before we have to wrap up this edition of Jay Plummer Sports Report on iHeartRadio and Golf News Net. All of the talk, or at least a great deal of the buzz, has been surrounding Tiger's return to golf. From what you have seen, do you think he wins? I, I find it very difficult to believe he'll win. I don't think he'd play unless uh, his game is in order. Um, I, I think he feels that it is. He is supposed to, Fred Couples said he's hitting it as well as ever. Uh, it's just a matter of how that leg holds up, how that ankle holds up, whether or not he can walk 72 holes uh, and really have the stamina to do it uh, under the pressure and under the conditions. I think the cooler weather earlier in the week is going to help him. Uh, I think that might have been a factor in his deciding to play in that it's not going to be extremely hot. So that's going to be easier for him to get around. Ryan, same question. I can't imagine a scenario where Tiger Woods wins a sixth green jacket, but um, I've been wrong about him plenty of times in my life. Um, but I don't think he's showing up here to be ceremonial. He's never done that. And I don't think he's ever going to do that. So I think he's come here with, uh, some belief, however, uh, however small, minuscule a chance he might believe he has, but he believes he can win. But I think it's 
not that difficult to imagine him making the cut. You don't even have to beat half the field to, to make the cut. And I, I could see a scenario where he finishes in the top 20. But again, it boils down to all of the unknowns about his body that he hasn't put himself through in a 72 hole tournament since the November 2020 Masters. Do you, how, feel, do you feel that putting himself out there now is also a good move with uh, regard to possibly getting larger and more sponsors going forward? Uh, perhaps. I mean, from a, a holistic perspective, the PGA Tour has never been in a better financial position. They have incredible amounts of television rights, money coming in. They burst it, they bust the posts, the, increase the purses across the board. The players is $20 million. The, the FedEx Cup playoff events outside the tour championship are $15 million. Uh, Augusta Nationals purse, whatever they announce it is, is still not going to be the richest in golf. Uh, so I, I don't think that necessarily Tiger, either personally or for the tours, is going to have a huge influence on their, their economic bottom line. But I, I think he's here because he believes he can do something and believes he's still got something left to offer. Um, and in a world where there's no really truly clear world number one right now, no offense to Scotty Scheffler, uh, maybe he sees an opening. And I think it's a perfect tournament to, for him to come back because it's a limited field. And there are several players in the field that really don't have much of a chance to win. So uh, from a competition standpoint, there aren't as many players he has to beat. Uh, plus, there's the comfort factor as well. Once you win at Augusta, you tend to play well there for the rest of your life because you know how to play it. The experience factor perhaps plays into it more than any other tournament. Yeah, there's a reason why past champions keep playing well it's it's not because you're a one-off it's because you like the golf course it suits your game and so there's a reason why you see the same players in the top 15 or 20 consistently and frankly if you look at the field over the last five years there's really not a whole lot of turnover in the field because past champions come back and high performers come back they keep finding a way to keep getting back into this field so um, from that perspective there has to be a whole lot of comfort that tiger feels playing this golf course doesn't have to learn the golf course. He's, he, he knows it as well as anybody. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining Jay Flemish Sports Report on iHeartRadio and Golf News Net Radio Network. We will see you next week with another terrific show. Have a great week, everybody.